0: Good morning, I want to welcome each and every one of you this morning to Paradise Valley Christian Church. If you are brand new this morning, uh, you are getting in on an exciting time. Uh, Over the past 50 years plus that this church has been around, uh, God continues to use it to have an impact in this community and around the world. And again, this is an exciting time for us as a congregation as we want to continue to grow, uh, whether it be being in the area of being discipled and grow spiritually. And we also want to continue to reach out and to have an impact in the lives of our family members, in the lives of our co-workers, in the lives of our relatives and neighbors. And so I'm praising God for the generosity of this congregation over the past several months with different activities like our community picnic and the different fundraisers and Harvest of Talents and Embrace Grace and Revival. A lot of you have donated, have given of your time, have given of your talents, have given of your finances, have prepared meals This is a giving, generous congregation, I just want to say thank you so much. This past week, we had our revival, and Seth Amory and his family all the way from Indiana came, and praise God, as you guys gave to to bless his family, to help cover expenses for them coming out and back, Uh, we were able to write a check for over $3,000 to bless their family because of your generosity, and I truly thank you for that willingness to step up to the plate and give honor and glory to God through our giving. And we want to continue to do that as we look into the future and see where God is using us. And this morning, I'm not talking about finances, but what I am wanting to say to you is thank you. Thank you for the great attendance at the revival this past week. Thank you for those who are involved in helping prepare and set up and pies and all that great thi- those great things that took place, and we're grateful for that time. And if you did not have a chance to get in, As a part of that, we would encourage you to go to pvcc.com or pvcc.info, and you can look up those sermons online and share them with friends and family members as Seth shared with us. We're getting back into this idea of the, the sermon series of Here, There from 1 Peter, and as many of you know, uh, my family and I just moved from Nebraska in July, and we've been kind of hanging out at the Berlin's house, which has been awesome, And uh, but it just reminds me of this idea that, that this world is not our home, okay, and as I hang out in the Berlin's basement with my seven kids and my wife, I'm reminded that this place is not my home. I it's great. I got free, you know, free internet. I got free cable. I got free, you know, water. We kind of help out a little bit here and there. But for the most part, the Berlins have been so generous to share with us and, and just said, hey, you're here. We love having you here. We appreciate it. And we love being there. There's some amazing, great things that we get to experience by hanging out in the Berlins basement. But at the end of the day, that's not my home. I'm looking forward to something Different, something that's mine, that God is creating, and that's the same thing as in this world that we face this, the difficulties, and we know that this, there's some awesome, amazing things that take place in this world, but this is not our home. We have something so much greater to look forward to. Just a quick uh, update. We are renting our house out in Garing, so that's a praise. And we are under contract for a house up in the Wolf Creek area, so that's a praise. Uh, if it all goes through, uh, God's working through that. It's a crazy situation. We'll tell you that more later. Um, but God is at work in that, and we should be able to close on November 7th, the day before we head to Fall Fling, as I'm speaking at Fall Fling. So it's a crazy time. It's a fun time. We're going to let you know if we're going to need some help moving out of the berlin's basement um but we're we're praising god that we know as christians that this is not all we have to look forward to we're here but we're there's something so much better there and so as you turn over to first peter first peter chapter one i want to read actually from matthew as we begin Jesus said to his disciples once, blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. For truly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it. And to hear what you hear and did not hear. Here at Matthew 13, 16 through 17. In other words, to experience something that's so great and wise and holy that people longed, they yearned to experience but couldn't, should make us feel blessed and thankful and that's the same logic that we have in our text this morning from 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 10 through 12. We we as we begin this series, we realize that Peter is writing to a church that is under distress. They're they're going through some difficult times. They're they're being punished for their faith. They're being persecuted, and Peter's writing to the Christians at this time, and he's writing to us today, and he's talking about, don't focus on the things of this world, but look to what's to come. And part of what's to come is our salvation. And so starting in verse 10, it says, concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. Verse 12, it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. When they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you, by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, even angels long to look into these things. Peter wants us to feel more gratitude and wonder for our salvation because the prophets of God and even the angels of heaven long to see what we have now experienced through the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you get nothing else out of this message this morning, I pray that if you are in Christ this morning, that you begin to value higher and higher, that you would take God's gospel message and you would value it so greatly that it would just flow out of you each and every day of your lives. And so today's title to the message is, Are You Seeking Salvation? God, this morning as we begin into your word, 1 Peter chapter 1, I pray that this would be verses that encourage us, that would challenge us. Father, you want us to know your word and to to love it and to live it. And God, as we think about salvation in you, Father, I pray that we realize that we have what the world needs. And so may we not hold it to ourselves, but may we share it with the world. And it's in the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Many of you might know this, but maybe some of you don't. You are in the presence of a certified lifeguard right here, all right? So if any of you, yes. If any of you are having a like kiddie pool party, I am your man. All right, I'm there to help. And and so I got certified to lifeguard at camp uh, as a, a youth minister down in Nebraska. And so, yeah, it, it wasn't an easy thing to get uh, certified. Praise the Lord that we had the lady in the church doing the the testing. <laughs> she helped me get through some of that. And as I think about this idea of, you know, someone in distress in the water, flailing around, and and this idea of they're seeking salvation, and maybe this morning you feel like you're in distress. Maybe you are here seeking salvation. And I want us to think about this idea of the value of salvation as we just watch a short news video. As I think about this news report, I think about us as Christians and how that compares and illustrates what we have in our lives. I think about this idea of are we seeking salvation? And this concept of being saved from the water comes to my mind, and and I believe that there might be three separate camps of individuals gathered this morning together, and I want us to touch on each one separately and, and find application for each one as we look at these verses and so as I think about this idea of salvation being saved are we seeking salvation are there individuals even maybe here this morning that, that are just kind of floating through life you're in the middle of, of a storm out at sea but you're just kind of hanging out you don't even necessarily realize that you need saved and that's a question that we have to ask here this morning. Do I need to be saved? And, and the question is not so much, do we think we need to be saved? Because you can need to be saved and not even know it. For example, maybe at the Casper Airport, there's an airplane that takes off, and, and pretty soon they begin to have uh, issues. And, and so here this, this plane that just recently took off is losing altitude, and it's heading straight for our sanctuary. Our sanctuary. You see, unless someone comes in and lets us know that the plane, the plane is coming, a little Fantasy Island reference there, all of us, as we sit here, think we're good. We're okay. But the reality is, is as the plane loses altitude, we're in trouble. We need to be saved. Someone needs to come tell us. And so you can see that feeling safe is no proof that you are safe. You may desperately need salvation and not feel in any danger at all. So I ask again, do we need to be saved? Are we in any danger which we may not feel but still need to be saved from? Is there a future life and joy that we are about to throw away and need to be saved Four. At the beginning of the school year this year, uh, we took the time to have our junior high, high school students fill out a what do you believe survey. And this survey allowed them to kind of start thinking about what they believe in the area of belief or the area of repentance or the area of confession or baptism or the Holy Spirit. And, and as we kind of take that survey, we spend the next few weeks then going back to God's word and say finding out what does God's word say about these things types of things, not just what we think, but what does God's word say. And and before we spend time going through the idea of what it takes to be saved, we talk about the idea of needing salvation in the first place. And so we have this picture that many of you may have seen where God is on one side of a great chasm, and, and here we are on the other side of a great chasm, as you can see, you all look amazing, okay? All right? The, the problem is, is there's this big separation, and that means that we're not happy, that there's nothing really filling us up in life, that things are not necessarily going the way that they need to, and because of sin in our life, the mistakes that we've made at times where we, we have this idea of a bullseye and we're trying to hit the mark with an arrow, but we're missing the mark. This idea of sin enters into our lives. And there's no way for sin for us, because of sin, it separates us from God. But praise the Lord. As we think about this idea of separation from God, God had a plan all the while to reconcile us back to him. And so, again, this is not a concept that was necessarily brand new to the students as we talked about it. And I'm guessing it's not brand new for you here this morning. But through the blood of Jesus and the cross, we have the ability to come back to God. No longer do we have to be upset and afraid and just feeling out of control. But God has given us an opportunity to come back to him. And we take joy in that. And this morning, maybe you're again just hanging out in the water, and you don't even realize how important the idea of being saved is. And we would look at Romans 3.23, and we'd find in Scripture where it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then we would find out that there are consequences for that sin in our lives where we read in Romans six twenty three, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Isaiah fifty nine two says, but your iniquities or your sins have separated you from your God, your sins have hidden His face from you, so that He will not hear. You see, if you are outside of Christ this morning, you are dead in your sins. And in danger of spending eternity in hell separated from God. You will miss out on the gift of God which is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You need to come to grips with the reality that you need a Savior this morning. Each and every one of us needs a Savior. And if you are floating through life thinking you're good enough and that you aren't in any sort of danger, I'm running in to tell you that there's a jet losing altitude heading straight for us this morning, and you need to be saved. The second camp that you might be in this morning is the camp that you realize that you need to be saved from your sins, but you're not quite sure how to go about it. You have the same question that the crowd asked at the end of Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2, 36-39, where we read, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord, our God, will call. If you're here today, and you are cut to the heart, and you know that you need to grab the life ring buoy then I want you to know that we here at PV, we're throwing it out to you. And maybe we're not the best throwers, as the guy on the news, he he, he got jumbled up and and he threw it out and didn't get close enough. As we see in these verses, there is a need for repentance. We want you to, to hear from God's word first and foremost, what it means to be saved. We see the idea of baptism in order to be received and receive the forgiveness of our sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. And as I think about this idea of repentance, it's a Christianese kind of term, you know. As Christians, we use different verbiage that we all understand, but maybe someone outside of Christ does not. And we use this word repent. And if I was to give you the Bible college answer or definition, it's this idea of a change of mind that requires a change of our actions as I would simply share it with the youth group you know it's like seeing a road sign you know you see a road sign and what does this mean it's a bad drawing but come on people what does it mean U-turn, yeah, okay, and, and this idea of U-turn is, is within this concept of repentance. You're heading down the wrong road, and as I traveled uh, the U.S. in 2017, there's a few times that I was heading down the wrong way. I, I was heading down in, in Boston, Massachusetts, downtown, trying to find a parking place for a 24-foot truck uh, that had duallys on it in small, itty-bitty spaces, all right? Boston is an old city and and the streets are real narrow and you're trying to find a, your way and you're following the GPS and, and Siri's talking to you and you're looking and there's people and you're pretty soon you're heading down a one way the wrong way and you know it because people are honking at you, okay? <laughs> Fortunately, I'd already dropped my family off at where that where we're gonna end up. But there's times in our lives where we're heading down the wrong road, and we need to repent of the things that are not being pleasing to God. We need to have a U-turn take place in our lives, and as we read there in Acts, there's this concept of dying to our old selves, being baptized into Christ as well, in order that we might receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, and as we look through Scripture, there's many places that talk about when you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. One of the questions on our uh, little survey for the youth group, one of them says, when do you believe you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit? I get lots of different answers on that. When you're born, when you believe, uh, some p- say when you're baptized. There's been times where someone said when you're baptized, and then they would. The next question is when does the Bible say you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit? And then they say I don't know, and I'm like okay, but you have the right answer. What? But why don't you know? And, and so this morning, as we look at Scripture, there's different times where. God is is sharing the Holy Spirit. There's times where the Holy Spirit comes on people that God just has it. He says, "Hey, this is what's going to take place," and he pours out the Holy Spirit. One example of that is Exodus 31 verses 1 through 3. I find at other times in scriptures where the apostles would lay their hands on people and they would receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You see that in Acts 8:17. However, the apostles aren't around anymore, and so the most a logical option that I look at when receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit is going to this Acts two thirty eight passage, where it says, "Repent and be baptized, and you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit." And sometimes we wonder, well, why is the Holy Spirit so important? And as we look at Second Corinthians chapter one verses twenty one through twenty two, it says, "Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ." He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Back in the old days, as a letter would come from a king, how would you know that it actually came from the king? What would the king do? Exactly, he would seal it. There would be some wax that would be placed on the envelope and what would he do? He would take his signet ring and he would stamp that wax and the form of his signet ring would become a seal to know that the letter is from the king. And this morning, if you have the Holy Spirit living inside you, you can know that you are property of the king. It also says that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit that lives within inside us is a deposit. And it, it's crazy that you sign a whole lot of papers when you buy a house. I guess that's important because they're giving you money, I guess, to buy houses. And, and so one of the things that you have to do is you have to give earnest money. And so that you're saying, yes, I'm, I'm guaranteed. I want this property. I'm putting money where my mouth is. And so there's this deposit that takes place in order that we might actually go through with purchasing the home. The Holy Spirit is part of that seal and that guarantee and that deposit as we look forward to salvation and eternity with God. And of course, as Seth talked about last week, it's not the water that saves us. As we read in First Peter 3.21, it's not the removal of dirt it's not the special holy water. It, this is water, Casper water, okay? Kind of hard water, not, not anything amazing, okay? We don't bottle it and ship it anywhere, all right? And, and so it's not the water, but it's our faith coming together with God's grace in the watery graves of baptism as Ephesians 2.8 talks about and however that's that's not the whole process in fact the process of surrendering your life to Christ and grabbing that life ring buoy really begins with first hearing the good news of Jesus Christ Romans 10:14 through 17 says then how can they call on the one they have not believed in and how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. But not all the Israelites accepted the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. As I think about that opening video, it took someone to grab the life ring buoy, to throw it out there, to do their best to to broadcast the good news, but beyond that, that individual had to get in the water. He had to get involved in the life of the person that he was sharing the truth with or trying to save And so before a person makes a decision to repent and be baptized, they first have to believe. And the only way they're going to believe is by hearing. And in Romans 10, 9 through 10, we find another part of the salvation process. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. And all these different aspects of the salvation process work together. I remember Wes Goodall sharing with me the very first time of the idea of the five-finger exercise where you hear, and then you believe, and then you repent, and then you confess Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and you're immersed into Christ, you're baptized into Christ, and then you walk in the Spirit, as Wes would say. You walk every single day trusting, depending on Christ. And this morning, if you know you need salvation, and you've just been holding out, you've been hanging out in the pew for years or months, then this morning I want to encourage you, if you know the truth about the salvation process, then don't hold back. Grab a hold of the life ring buoy of salvation and surrender your life to Christ. But maybe this morning, I'm speaking to the choir, maybe this morning you are in Christ and you have been a baptized believer since you were 10 years old. We're praising God for Cody's decision last week to be baptized at 7 years old, correct? I mean, you think about 50 years from now, Cody's going to be like, yeah, I've been baptized. I've been a believer. I've been sold out for God for 50 years. And maybe... You've been, you're in that same place and your gratitude for your salvation maybe has faded. Maybe you're living your life in Christ with a, oh well, ho-hum, lukewarm mentality. What once caused you great joy and, and, and appreciation is now similar to the side of a sun-beaten boat that no longer has the luster it once did when it was brand new. I think about maybe the first time I bought a 21-speed a bike. Man, this was sweet bike. It, it had, like, so many gears, I didn't even know what to do with them. You know, you would pedal and all of a sudden you click the gears and pretty soon you're, you're you're spinning so fast because that was a gear that you're supposed to be going uphill with. And, man, I just love the bike. I kept it clean. I, I made sure it was taken care of. Uh, my brother tried to hit it with rocks and that really made me upset one time. And But, you know, we, we take care of the things that we think are really valuable to us in life. But then over time, pretty soon, that newness wears off. Maybe you've had a new car or maybe a new outfit or a new phone, and those things are so valuable to begin with. We take care of them so, you know, just meticulously. And then over time, the newness wears off. And Peter's aim in verses 10 through 12 is to intensify our gratitude and fill us with joy and worship for the infinite value of this great salvation he does this by telling us five amazing things about our salvation, things that maybe we've never really thought of before. And so if you want to go back to the 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 through 12 verses, I want you to look at five different things in closing that really should say, wow, our salvation is amazing. And the first one is that Christ predicted it. Peter points out the amazing fact that Christ himself, the Spirit of Christ, hundreds of years before his own death and resurrection, was predicting his own death and resurrection. Look at the middle of verse of 11. The Spirit of Christ within the prophets predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. Christ predicted the sufferings of Christ. Which means that Christ, the Son of God in heaven, has been contemplating, he's been thinking about his suffering and his death for us for centuries. Indeed, as far back as the plan of salvation reaches in the mind of God, so far back has Christ been willing and ready to give himself up for our sins. You see, you were not loved for just a short moment of sacrifice in history. You have been loved For endless ages, in the eternal plan of the Father and the Son to save sinners who trust in Him. As we continue to look at these verses, the prophets longed, they desired, they wanted to see it. Peter highlights the worth of our salvation by telling us how the prophets longed to be a part of it. Verse 11, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful search and inquiry, seeking to know what person or time Christ was indicating. Christ came to Isaiah 700 years before Jesus came to earth and said, Write this but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You see, when the Spirit of Christ told Isaiah to write that, and I can just imagine Isaiah being like, oh, Lord, well, who? Who? Well, Oh Lord, when? O oh, oh Lord, how long before we see this take place? And that searching and inquiring and longing is an echo of the tremendous worth of our salvation in the hearts of the holy men of old. As we continue to read, the prophets served us in it. You see, as the the prophets inquired and they searched and they were longing to know when this was all going to happen, the Lord's answer to that yearning cry of the prophets is given in verse 12. It says, It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. The Spirit of Christ is basically saying, Isaiah, be patient. You're not serving yourself or even merely your own generation. You are serving saints hundreds of years from now. They will see in your prophecy of me the proof that I am who I say I am. And its truth will make its infinite value unshakable in their lives. You will not have lived in vain. And the Holy Spirit brings it to us. That's how important our salvation is. The Holy Spirit brings it to us. Peter highlights the value of our salvation by telling us in verse 12 that the Holy Spirit himself sent from heaven has brought us the news of our salvation through the gospel. It says, These things now have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. And then the last thing, The angels love to look into it. The next thing that Peter says to highlight the value of our salvation is that angels love to look into it. Verse 12 at the end says, things into which angels long to look. And if I'm understanding the passage correctly, this does not mean that they want to but can't. It means they want to because in a sense, They are outsiders to the drama of sin and redemption, and they love to watch the great work of God's salvation unfold in history and in the lives of the saints. Peter's point is this. If angels get excited about our salvation, then how much more should we be excited about the salvation that benefits us? We're not just onlookers. We're not just outsiders looking in, you know, the glass window. Oftentimes, when I go look for a, a car, I'd like to see the insides, and I'd look on the inside, but I wasn't on the inside. We, as the body, are on the inside of what God is offering through the gospel message, the good news. And I think about my son, Brooks, who's four years old. He, the other day, received an invitation from one of his classmates at school. And, you know, Brooks has gotten invitations from classmates at school, but we've always been homeschooled. And so it was always just from his siblings. And so this was something new. This was like in an envelope, and it had an invite. And, you know, he was excited about it. He knew something great was coming. He, he knew that there was something fun in store for him. And so like a week before the party, he would say, guess what, Dad? Out of the blue, you know, out of the blue. Guess what, Dad? What, Brooks? I'm going to go to a party. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, that's awesome. Praise the Lord, you know. And I was like, that's, that's neat that he's excited about and, then, and the next day, he'd be like, hey, Dad, four days till the birthday party, four days. You know, and he was excited, about what he had as an invitation to experience something great in this morning. We have something so much more valuable than an invite to a birthday party. We have an invite to what's going to come for eternity. We have salvation through the blood of Jesus Christ. And I don't know about you, but it's easy sometimes to kind of overlook that and kind of be like, yeah, I've been hearing that since I was a little kid. But what about someone that's never been invited to the party? What about someone that needs to hear the good news? Is our salvation impacting our daily lives? And are we reaching out with that hope and that joy of our salvation? The wedding feast is soon to come. Do we truly value the salvation that we have in Christ? And so wherever you are at this morning, whether you're crying out for help, Maybe you're trying to grab a hold of that life ring buoy, or maybe you're already in the boat of salvation. I hope you are hearing the gospel. I want all of us to acknowledge the good news that Christ came into the world to save sinners with a salvation of tremendous value. Far more valuable than anything else we will ever own or know. But it's not just me that's calling your attention to the worth of Christ and of salvation. It is, I believe, the Holy Spirit sent from heaven speaking through me. And my prayer is that you will not resist his call on your life. That you will open yourself to believe and to experience an ever-growing gratitude for such a great salvation. And in just a moment, we're going to sing a song of commitment, a song of invitation. And as we sing this song, I want you to really think through these two questions am I seeking salvation in my life? And the second question, does the value of my salvation that I already have have a daily impact on how I'm living? Will you stand with us as we sing?